1: they've been presented as the word of the Lord, and yet they seem to be filled with the word or the concepts or the wisdom of man only? Was the word pleasing to the Lord, or was, was it only a manipulation, a manipulation to the masses in order to be able to accomplish the desire and the purposes of man? Will these words that are spoken or written or declared, will they stand the test of time, Will they stand the scrutiny of the whole of Scripture? And another great test is, are they true for every culture and for every economy?
0: The Word of God makes it clear that Jesus does many miracles. However, Scripture also reveals that Satan masquerades as an angel of light, and he too can perform lying signs and wonders to deceive many. In today's message, Pastor David warns us that a miracle does not necessarily mean that God is at work. If we seek after miracles more than Jesus, we open ourselves up to deception. Pastor David points out that the way to protect ourselves from being duped by Satan's razzle-dazzle is to know the truth as defined by the scriptures. Now here's Pastor David with part one of his message, Heresies, Follow the Money, from the book of 2 Peter.
1: Garden of Eden, the enemy had used outright lies, partial truth, often totally out of context, or he's vastly stretched the truth just simply to declare something that God never intended to be. And that's where Peter is going this morning. It's a warning against those that would use the word of God and the church of Jesus Christ for their own purposes, for their own evil intent. Look at it with me if you would. Second Peter chapter 2. Peter writes these words, but there were also false prophets among the people. Now we really can't start there. We actually need to back up into chapter one to get the whole context of what he's saying. So we're going to back up into chapter one, into verse 19. Peter writes, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with descriptive word, with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber." The Lord warned his people early on not to listen to those that were going to speak differently than what the Lord had commanded. He warned them not to listen to those that would would pull away from his word. Even the apostle Paul declares, you know what, even if we come or an angel from God comes and they bring another gospel, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Listen to the words of the Lord in Deuteronomy chapter 13. The Lord giving this command. He says, if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and catch this, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder even comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him, keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God and brought who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall put away the evil from your midst Did you notice The Lord says, even if they verify what they're saying with signs and wonders. Well, this has to be true. Didn't you see the miracle that God performed here? What if it's away from God's word? Even a sign, even a wonder, even a miracle. They are not the test. They're not the proof. Don't believe the lies and the teachings that would draw you away from the purity of the context of God's word. Beloved, you can go through this word and you can make it say just about anything you want it to say. A little bit here, a little bit there. That's why we feel it's so important to teach through the word of God in the context of what the word is speaking. Along the same line, a little bit later in Deuteronomy chapter 18, we read these words in verse 20. The Lord, again speaking, he says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name which I've not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. That's pretty intense. It's a powerful thing, and I understand that. But we need to realize, this is a serious thing with the Lord to presume to speak on God's behalf. To come up and say, thus saith the Lord, and then all of a sudden you're speaking something that the Lord never intended, never desired to be declared you know what? That's something that needs to be considered by every pastor, by every Sunday school teacher, by every Bible study leader, and by every one of us who would even open up this word and share it even one-on-one with another. Are you sharing the reality and the truth and the purity of the word of God, or are you taking this word out of the context it was intended to be? I wonder, how many of these televangelists? How many modern preachers? How many even Sunday school teachers would still be left if we went with that Old Testament directive of Deuteronomy 18:20? Paul said to him, he said, "Woo, nope, you're out of here. Boom. Get the stones. We're getting this guy." Think of the words of the messages that you've heard just say over the last several months. Whether it be from church or radio or television or maybe even the various books that you might have read. And ask yourself these questions. Have they been presented as the word of the Lord and yet they seem to be filled with the word or the concepts or the wisdom of man only? Was the word pleasing to the Lord or was was it only a manipulation of? Manipulation to the masses in order to be able to accomplish the desire and the purposes of man. Will these words that are spoken or written or declared, will they stand the test of time? Will they stand the scrutiny of the whole of Scripture? And another great test is, are they true for every culture and for every economy? You know, a lot of what's being pushed out as Christian and as truth today, would never stand in an economy like is found in India. Among the Dalits, the lowest of the lowest class, You know what? The truth of this word still stands with them, but much that's what's being pushed off on television and radio would not even stand. The health, the wealth, the prosperity gospel that's being pushed out on the masses today would never stand in that culture. Why not? Because it's not the context, it's not the purity, it's not the completeness of God's word. Yet when we teach and when we preach the truth of God's word, it's got to be able to hit every economy. It's got to be able to hit every people class this word isn't limited to only a select few this word is given to all to be able to take to understand to be able to go with it were the words that were spoken were they life and power of the spirit of the Lord or were they cotton candy and you know what cotton candy is don't you it's it's pleasing for a moment and yet it's empty really pleasing only for a moment and yet there's no lasting value Peter knows that these false teachers were going to rise up in the church, that they had already been there. There were false teachers among the people, but he also knows that they will still yet come among the church, even as there will be false teachers among you. He says they will secretly bring in these destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And you see this warning all throughout the New Testament. And it would seem that as long as we're here on this earth, as long as the church keeps proclaiming the truth, then there's going to be these false teachers, these false prophets that'll come up and try and detract and distract away from the truth. They're gonna be rising even from within the church. There's going to be those that'll come up and they're gonna lead people astray. Peter makes three pretty clear distinctions here about these false teachers. He says they will secretly bring in these destructive heresies. The second thing he says, they will deny the Lord that bought them. And the third thing is, they're going to bring on themselves swift destruction. Let's look at these three areas real quickly. Secretly bring in destructive heresies. This, this again, it, it adds to the culpability of their actions. The fact that they're doing this secretly they they they're coming in they're 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 sneaking into the fellowships they know that what they're teaching is wrong that it's away from the orthodoxy of the faith and when i say orthodoxy i mean that that is accepted that that's understood as the truth of god's word they understand that they're pushing out beyond those limits and so they come in and rather they come in uh <clears throat> proclaiming themselves as a teacher of the word, or rather they just come in and make themselves at home. One of the things more often than not that these false teachers do not do, they very seldom, if ever, come to the leadership of a church and say, hey, listen, I I know this is what you guys believe, but as I've read and I've studied the word of God, this, this is the thing that's come to me. Can we sit down? Can we discuss this? No, more often than not, they'll come into a fellowship, They'll just make themselves known, they'll make themselves popular, and they'll come alongside individuals and they'll start spewing, again, their doctrine to try and twist, to turn, to pull people away. I understand fully that within the body of Christ, within the household of faith, there's, there's, there's differences in doctrine. I understand that. That's not what I'm speaking about here. I'm not speaking about um, my Assembly of God brother or my Nazarene brother or my Presbyterian brother or my Baptist brother. That's not what I'm speaking about here. Because there's going to be differences in administration of churches. There's going to be some differences even in doctrine. But that's not what Peter is warning about. He's warning about destructive heresies, those teachings that will destroy the body of Christ. He speaks about how they would come in, and literally they come in and they begin a whisper campaign. They don't announce themselves with a blast of a trumpet, they whisper in the corners, they go into the shadows. They go one by one, couple by couple, small group by small group. And I'll tell you right now, that's why a lot of churches hate having small groups. Oh, we've got all these small groups, and man, that's where all of our problems start. They get this Bible study going over here, and this guy suddenly takes off, and he's teaching this and this, and we've had to fix that and take that. This happens. That's the reality of the culture that we're in, but I don't believe it's just today. I believe that it's been happening since the birth of the church. They're not being honest with their beliefs. They're not being, again, coming to the forefront with what they speak. No, they look for opportunity to draw others in. Jude tells us that these men have crept in unnoticed, Paul speaks in Galatians chapter 2 about the false brethren secretly brought in who come in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Paul also warned the Ephesian elders. You remember that as he gathered the Ephesian elders there together on the shore as he was heading to Jerusalem. He says, you know what, your responsibility as an elder, as a leader within the church is to care for, to guard over, take care of the flock of God. But beware, because false teachers are going to rise up. And then he looks at these men and he says, as a matter of fact, they're going to rise up among you. That's the danger that we see. That's why, man, you and I, all of us, we need to be grounded in this word. The next declaration that Peter makes here is is they come and they even deny the Lord who bought them. Now, when we look at this and we look at the next statement, bringing on themselves swift destruction, we really need to kind of take those two together in order to be able to fully understand it. When you look at that phrase, the Lord who bought them, it has the connotation of salvation. The Lord who bought them. These must be saved men. But let's ask these questions. When you see things like that, you you ought to ask the question. Say, are these men actually saved? And if they were, did they then lead others away with this false teaching and thus they lost their salvation, bringing on themselves swift destruction? So exactly what does Peter mean by this phrase? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. I like the concept, I like the thought that's brought out by uh, Dr. Gangle. He's a former professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He said there's a few different ways that you could look at this because it is kind of a difficult statement these guys who were bought by the Lord and yet they're brought to swift destruction. Does it mean that they lost their salvation? Is that what he's saying? Well, Gangle says this, that you can look at it in four different ways. Number one, that they were saved, but they lost their salvation because they led others into destructive heresies. Uh, personally, I don't agree with that. I believe that there's too many other scriptures that speak about, again, not the uh, the once saved, always saved kind of connotation, but the strength and the power of those who are truly born again, the keeping power of Almighty God in our lives. The second thing that Gangle brings out is when it says, denying the Lord who bought them, that word bought means the creation of portion, that the Lord created them, not that he saved them. And he says, but the problem with that is you're really stretching the meaning of that word bought completely out of the context. So again, that's not what Peter means here. The third point that he brings out is that the false prophets, they, they merely said that they were bought. They merely said that they were redeemed by Christ. And yet that's not really what Peter is saying here in this verse. The fourth point, and the point that I believe is the most correct, that they were redeemed in the sense that Christ paid the redemptive price for their salvation, but they never applied it to themselves, therefore they were never saved. Now, this is a doctrinal stand that that declares that Christ's death is sufficient for all, but it's only efficacious is the word it's only effective for those that believe it that receive it okay now again we we see that doctrinal declaration throughout scripture Paul writes to Timothy in first Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 he says for there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The writer of Hebrews declares very similar thing. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And then finally, John gives us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he says, And he himself, speaking of Christ, and he himself is the propitiation the full and complete total payment he is he himself is the propitiation for our sins but not for ours only but also for the whole world that christ died for the sin of all mankind but it's only effective to those who receive that payment by faith and i i understand that this is a totally different kind of understanding. As a matter of fact, it's a strong argument against the Calvinist doctrine of limited atonement. And if you know about that, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine. Anyway, primarily what they say is that Jesus died only for the elect and not for the whole world. And yet I read scripture after scripture after scripture that Christ died for the whole world in order that whosoever might call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. It's not a limited atonement. I believe that it's wide open for all those who would receive it. And these men, though their sin had been died for in Christ. They never received the forgiveness of their sin because they never received it in their life. Peter is speaking of those who came from within the church, men who were on on the outside of their lives. They may even have professed Christ, yet never on the inside were they possessed by Christ. Do you understand the difference in that? To make a verbal profession is not the same thing of having an internal possession of Christ. That's why Jesus says that in those days, many are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that? In your, didn't we minister in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? And what did Jesus say? He said, depart from me. I never knew you. And I believe that's where these men are. They come and they act church, but they're never really and truly a part of the body of Christ. And again, we see the same warning, the Apostle Paul in 1 John, or the Apostle John in his epistle, 1 John chapter 2. In verse 18, he says, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, yet even now many Antichrist have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. And when he's speaking of many Antichrist, he's speaking of these many false teachers that are coming into the church. And John says, they went out from us. He says they're coming out of the church. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us... They would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Many of those who are proclaiming these false doctrines, these false teachers' teachings have been in the church maybe for years and years and years. Maybe have been very active in the church for years. Maybe their parents and grandparents had truly been born again ministers of the gospel, and yet as they've grown up, they've seen a way to get great gain by the fleecing of the flock. Paul warns Titus about these false teachers and about their eternal standing. Paul writes in in the book of Titus chapter one, verse 15 and 16, he says, even their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in their works, they deny him being abominable, disobedient, disqualified, for every good works. That's why Peter tells us. These false teachers are going to come from among you. They'll secretly bring in destructive heresies. They'll deny the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. We'll speak more about these destructive heresies as we get on into this chapter. But for now, please understand that this is much, much more than the issues that separate true Christians, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring, grace-preaching churches will have. Open our us
0: from within by the open word. We're so delighted you were able to join us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David Landry has been taking us verse by verse through the book of 2 Peter. If today's message has sparked your interest and you want to hear more, We invite you to visit TheOpenWord.com to find teachings throughout Scripture from Pastor David. Another great way to hear each new teaching as it's made available is to subscribe to The Open Word podcast on iTunes. You'll never miss a teaching and you'll have it available to you no matter where you go. You'll find a link at TheOpenWord.com. The Open Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. And here to bring you a personal invitation to join us is Pastor David.
1: Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Word of God. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning, as well as Wednesday evening and Saturday evening at 6.30. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thank
0: you, Pastor David. If you're in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, be sure to drop in soon to experience a service with our group of imperfect but redeemed believers. Once again, you'll find service times and directions along with more information about us when you visit theopenword.com. That's all we have time for today, but be sure to join us again for more insights into the book of 2 Peter right here on The Open Word small